everybody. My name's Hannah. I am I'm going to begin by issuing you all with a warning. Okay, prepare yourselves. I'm about to brag unapologetically on my children. Okay, just get ready. This week, my three-year-old little boy, he's about yay height, he's quite tall for three, he has learnt to ride his bike with no stabilizers. And I am beyond proud. I mean, it's actually ridiculous. You'd think he'd just been granted a place in Harvard. Such is the level of pride in my heart. If you um, are a parent, then you'll understand the the joy when he finally took off those three-year-old spindly legs, pedaling furiously to try and keep the bike going. It was utterly ridiculous, confirming my suspicions that parenting more than anything else in my life has the capacity to turn me into an emotional train wreck, just is beyond me. And uh, I wanted to tell you that because firstly, if I'm honest, I um, am really chuffed for my little boy. But also, as you might suspect, I want to use that story to make quite a serious point. So, serious point time. Life, for me, certainly, maybe for you, feels a lot like a wobbly bicycle right now. Will you fall? Won't you fall? If you fall off, will there be grass or will you scrape your knees and need a plaster? It, and, and, then, and then, if some of us are really honest, what we're also asking, is God even there getting backache, holding the back of the bicycle so we don't fall off? Is God even there doing that? And if he is, what kind of God is he? Life feels a lot like a wobbly bike for me right now. And I don't, I don't just mean talking about the big world events like London and Manchester and Qatar and, and like all, all of these places that are catastrophe and chaos. I also mean just like the very ordinary challenges that we all face in life. Unemployment, relationship difficulty, sickness. Just the common troubles that we share. Life can feel a lot like a wobbly bike, can't it? The reason that we persevere in learning things like riding bikes or playing musical instruments, if you've ever learned a new musical instrument, is because we have in mind the end goal. We know that the end goal, the end result is going to be utter glory. I love riding my bike. I ride my bike here to work in the week. I come along the canal. There is nothing like the simple pleasure of the wind in your face, your hair streaming effortlessly behind you, the sunshine and the... You're with me. I love riding my bike, okay? So it was easy for me to keep that in mind as I cheered my little boy on into no stabilizers bike riding this week. I had the end goal in mind. I knew where we were going. And here's my question. Why? Why? Why do I think that the Christian life has to be any more complex than that? What we need to have in mind in the shaking and the shaping of this world, in the wobbliness of what we encounter, surely is the end goal. Where are we headed We need a vision that sustains us. And so as we step back into this Revelation series tonight, that's where we're heading. I want to um, shape together with you, what is the end goal here? 
And therefore, how do we live? What does it really mean? So what? So if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn with me to Revelation 19. It's basically the very back end of the Bible. So if you turn to the back and then uh, go kind of three chapters from the end, you'll find Revelation 19. It's a fairly incredulous vision given to a guy called John. And uh, straight up what I want to tell you so you can look out for it that we're watching for here are two end goals. Number one, a victory. Number two, a wedding party. So let's read together Revelation 19. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, as if they hadn't said it enough times already. For our Lord God Almighty reigns, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people then the angel said to me write this blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb and he added these are the true words of God at this I fell at his feet to worship him but he said to me don't do that I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Let me just stop and pray for us as we come around God's really precious word this evening. Father, we, we thank you for this incredible and seemingly incredulous vision that you gave to John and we pray that through it you would encourage and strengthen our hearts this evening that you'd give us a vision that would enable us to walk in the now come Holy Spirit breathe through your word we pray we ask amen So, straight up, uh, we're waiting for a victory. It's going to be a decisive victory. It's not going to be a boring 2-2 draw. And uh, 
It's a victory over something that's called Babylon, which is not a David Gray lyric. It's not even America or Russia or something else that can be literally uh, interpreted or crudely applied. That's my personal opinion. Babylon, victory over Babylon, which is what's happening here in this passage, is what we're promised. And Babylon is, is basically resembles godless society itself. Human society that has set itself up independent to God, separate to God. And the truth is that we have been, humanity, we have been setting ourselves up in this way for centuries, ever since Adam and Eve first did that, trying to usurp God's rightful place as king in our hearts. We've, we've been doing it. Whether you feel like it or not, <laughs> this is the story of God's people. And so no wonder that the whole of heaven, in verse 1, the multitudes and the church represented in verse 4, the 24 elders and the four living creatures. Basically, they're saying, thank God for that, is my kind of paraphrase of those verses. Thank God for that, that he's finally acted, that he's had the decisive, final, full stop, it's finished, victory. And the reason that that's a good thing, it's a good victory, um, I think it's pretty clear because John uses some fairly... uh, colorful language to describe the horror of Babylon. He has condemned, verse 2, the great prostitute who has corrupted the earth by her adulteries. I read that. I was a bit like, whoa there, John. Uh, Just take a rain check on your language because this is church. (laughs) But he's basically saying like, this is how bad it is. This is how bad Babylon is. So independent to God. This is a good judgment that God has made. It's an overcoming, a victory that brings peace to our hearts, brings peace to our world, and brings peace to heaven. So the end goal is a victory. It's an overcoming. It's an end to evil. I don't know about you, but my heart longs for that day. I long for the day when we don't need a word like refugee to describe the awful reality that one in every hundred people now on our planet is experiencing. Do you long for that day when God's going to act and say, actually, no, that is wrong. No more evil, no more pain, no more sickness, no more crying, no more injustice. That's the victory that we're promised. That's the end goal that's going to sustain us as we pedal furiously our wobbly bicycles. So we can know that God will act. He has acted in Christ. He is acting now and he will act. The end goal is a victory. It's coming. But there's also another end goal and it's a wedding. Who, does anyone else love weddings? Anyone? Yeah, a few of you. Oh, come on. More of you love weddings than that. Don't be so shy about it. Yeah. Two hands up there at the back. I see you, sir. Uh, and uh, I, I actually really love weddings. My sister got married just two weeks ago. It was a beautiful wedding in the Lake District. It rained all day. It was, like, beyond ridiculous. Um, but this wedding, whose wedding is it? Well, it's our wedding. 
which makes total sense, of course, or maybe not. So hang in there as I explain what's going on there. Verse 7, the wedding of the Lamb has come. It's a picture of the church, which is basically you and me. So the people of God. And it's a picture of God's love for his people. It, it kind of goes throughout scripture. It's a really strange metaphor that contains deep, deep truth. Isaiah 54 says, For your maker is your husband, and the Lord of hosts is his name. It's like in an effort to explain the depth of his love for us. God takes the most intimate and precious of relationships and says that, that's, that's what I'm like. That's what I have for you. Just not with all the conflict around finances. That, but better. That's how much I love you. That's how much I'm for you. And we need to dig, if it's okay with you, a little bit into the customs of a Hebrew marriage to understand why this is so significant. So hang in there with me as we just unpack a little bit of this context. So there are four stages to a Hebrew wedding. Stage one is betrothal. So that's a bit like our engagement system, except it was much more binding. You were basically legally married at the end of the betrothal. So Mary betrothed to Joseph. In the eyes of the law, they were married, but they didn't yet live together. After the betrothal, stage two is the interval. And during the interval, the groom pays the bride's father a dowry. So money or service or time, gifts and some sort for the bride's hand. So we see that with God and his people. We are betrothed to God. Just going to fry your brain there for a minute. It says, in Christ we were chosen before eternity. That's awesome. (laughs) And then we see that worked out through the whole of the Old Testament. You will be my people, I will be your God. You will be my people, I will be your God. Betrothal. And then Jesus comes and he does this. He's paying what? He's paying the dowry for his people with his actual body. He's paying it. It's done. Stage three is the procession. So there's betrothal interval, then there's procession. I've been um, in India when this has actually happened. It's like awesome. The groom, he comes from over here. He's like got himself all ready. He comes with his friends. Often he's like riding a horse or an elephant or something. Probably didn't happen with the Hebrews elephants, but they rode other things. And uh, he comes with his friends and he processes to the home of his betrothed. She's got herself ready. She's there with the lady. She's, I'm ready. Let's go. So then they go back to the groom's house and they make their home. And then, then stage four, there's a wedding party to beat all wedding parties. I was trying to imagine what would have happened if my little sister had turned to my parents and said, well, you've always said we're a biblical family, so I'd quite like to have a wedding that lasted seven days. I think <laughs> my parents would have turned white. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's what happened. Seven-day party. And everybody who knew anybody got invited. It was a huge community affair. And there was wine and there was dancing. And it was just amazing. And if I was going to place us on a map, if I was going to put my finger and say, you are here, then I'd say this. The dowry has been paid. The groom may yet have set off for us. We don't know. 
But we are not yet at the party. We're living in the in-between. Jesus has ascended to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit, but we're waiting his coming again. We live here in the intersection between chaos. Eugene Peterson calls it catastrophe, turmoil, death, destruction, but also the inbreaking of God's kingdom, the glimpses of heaven on earth that we see as God's kingdom comes, as his people participate in what he's doing now. He's making all things new. He's got good plans for the people that he loves and the world that he made. We live here in the now and the not yet. You are here. And so knowing the end goal and knowing where we find ourselves now, my question is, how then are we to live? I want to take you back a few chapters to Revelation 14, which is probably more accurately where we find ourselves. This beautiful verse, verse 12, says this, as in, This, living in catastrophe and breakthrough, this, calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. So I've got three, just three, really simple things that I want to frame for us that I think will help us not just endure, but flourish as the people of God, as we pedal our wobbly bicycles with our three-year-old legs, as we keep in mind the end goal, the victory and the wedding, how then must we live? Number one, I think we're called to worship. We're called to worship. Worship does the exact opposite of Babylon. So Babylon says, I'm setting myself up independent to God. Worship says, I'm going to ascribe glory and honor to God. He is going to be the rightful king of my heart. Worship puts God firmly back on the throne of the human heart. And by worship, I I don't just mean singing songs in case you're getting worried, but I do also mean singing songs in case you're getting worried. I, I don't know if we really understand how powerfully subversive it is what we do when we gather here on a Sunday evening together and you give an hour of your week to sing declarations of truth about who he is. That is ridiculously powerful, can I just tell you powerfully subversive. You are reasserting the authority of God as king in your heart. And it's actually also radically political. I I don't know what your reaction to the election was. Maybe some of you are thinking, I really need to go and join the Labour Party, or I really need to join the Conservative Party, or I really need to go out and campaign for the SNP, or I need to make my voice heard, or I need to just um, be more politically minded. A whole myriad of responses, none of which I judge at all. (laughs) But can I just encourage you that one of the most political things that we could possibly do as the people of God is to worship him 
is to worship him because as we worship, what we're doing is we are outlining an alternative vision to the cultural Babylon we find ourselves in. We're stepping into a a contested space and we're saying, God, it's God who's the king of this city. It's God who gets the last word in my heart. It's God whose kingdom is breaking in here. I was really challenged by this just this week as I was thinking about the, what does that actually mean practically. I was challenged by that for my own life. I was challenged by that for my parenting. I was thinking in, in my home, if I have not shaped in the morning an alternative vision of worship of God as king in my house, in my mind, in my heart, before I step out of the house and into cultural Babylon, then how on earth do I think I stand a chance of following Jesus in this city? Because the city will quite happily shape an alternative vision for us that doesn't have God as king. So I guess my question is partly, how are you shaping that vision? How before you even leave your flat in the morning and you head to work or university or college or wherever, how are you shaping an alternative vision of God as king? I was praying with my little boy on the way to nursery this week and um, was trying to really think about how do I do this and so we were praying God please help him have a good day at nursery and know that you're there and he he turned to me I I tell you this story so you know that I'm really not nailing this he turned to me and said it's okay mommy actually I don't need God today I was like dagger in the heart (laughs) I had to spend a few minutes explaining to him that even when we're feeling really on top of the world and like we're really going to nail nursery today, it's still okay to ask God to be part of your day. And it sounds a bit trivial, but gosh, I was like, how often do I do that? I'm having a good day. And I think, oh, actually, I don't need God today. And how easy it is for me to run to worship in those moments where everything is just going bad. Because I need an alternative vision to frame my life. But that song, that song that we were singing earlier, in every season you are still God. I have a reason to worship in the good and the bad. How are you going to frame a vision of God as king? How are you going to worship? Because that, that will sustain you. That will help you endure. That will help you keep going for the end goal, the victory, and the wedding. Worship. Number two, holiness. Holiness. Does anyone else have a weird reaction to that word? You think it implies kind of boringness or kind of a lack of adventure or just no funness. Holiness. Or maybe it's just reserved for people like Mother Teresa who really have completely got the whole Christian life thing down. Well, let me tell you, it's really not. Holiness is about living a full life. Living well, living fully, living deeply, living a holy whole life. A life that matches up. A life that lives the same thing as it speaks. That's that's holiness. And I actually think holiness is one of the things that God would most 
reclaim for us in our generation of being the people of God on earth, holiness. We are a holy people, holy, whole people, people with integrity. That is going to witness the life of Jesus to our city. Integrity. Holy, whole life. And holiness is our responsibility. Something that we engage with. There's a really famous preacher, he's dead now, he's called Spurgeon. And uh, he said this, If I knew that our Lord would come this evening, as in come back, I should preach just as I mean to preach. And if I knew he would come during this sermon, I would go on preaching until he did. And I read that, and I was like, I may as well give up and go home. (laughs) But he, that, that is holiness. That is a life that is going to look the same whether Jesus came back this afternoon, later this evening, or in 10 centuries' time. My life would look the same. It would be a holy, whole life, a life of integrity, a life of holiness. He was ready. And Revelation 19, just to take us back to that passage there, speaks to this. It says that the bride, which is us, has made herself ready. Verse 7, the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now, there are all kinds of things that a bride does to get ready for a wedding. If you've ever been a bride, you'll know there's just so many jobs. Wedmen is awful. So you've got to not only prepare for the big party and the wedding and the invitations and all of that, but then on the morning you've got to get in the hairdresser and the beautician and the makeup artist and then there's a photographer, then you've got to put your dress on. Guys, you just like literally put on a suit and you're like, job's done. I hate you. (laughs) I don't really hate you, but why did I say that? Where are we going? Imagine if my little sister, two weeks ago, had spent three days preceding her wedding, just sat around on her phone, just kind of nonchalantly, just not really engaging. And then the morning of the wedding, I said, do you know what? Quite comfortable in my pajamas. I'm just going to wear them today. And then it kind of like just traipsed down the aisle. Yeah. Hey. No. She made herself ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? What are you wearing? Verse 8 says, Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. These are the righteous acts of God's holy people. Holiness is something that we do and is something that God does in us. We have to actually participate. We don't sit around passing time. We actively participate in that holiness. The things that beautify you are not clothes or achievements or jobs or promotions or relationships. They're actions. They are actions that witness the life of Holy Spirit in you, working for the common good, serving the poor, welcoming the stranger, the refugee, sharing Jesus with the city. And I think 
in this city, one of the actions that will most witness the love of Jesus is the action of rest. And I want to talk about that for just a minute or two because I think it's quite a big challenge to our city, the culture that we live in, our cultural Babylon, but therefore also to this church because we are people of this city. We live in a frenetic, driven, pacey culture. Go, 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 go. Achieve, 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 achieve. Work, 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 work. Play, 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 play. Don't sleep. Work, 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 work. Do you get me? We go on and on and on and it's so driven. And there's some good things in there because God made us for excellence and he made us to do and serve. But... We weren't designed to run at that kind of pace. So I don't mean, please hear me right, I don't mean quit your high-powered executive job. But what I do mean to say is take God very seriously when as a matter of holiness, he commands us to take a full day of rest, what we call Sabbath in the church, a whole day of rest to reconnect with him and each other. Are you taking that seriously? Because I think when we do rest, when we Sabbath, what it witnesses to our city is our peace is in God. It's not in us. It's not in what we can do or achieve or manage or fix. But our peace is actually in him. That's where it is. Doobie doobie doo is a much better song then do, do, do. Much better. Do, be, do. Anyway, you got me. (laughs) Holiness. And then lastly, faith. Faith. How else are we to keep in mind the end goal, the victory and the wedding towards which all of heaven and earth is pitching? But faith. Revelation 14, 12. Remain faithful to Jesus. Faith is something that God gives us and it's something that we grow. It's something that we grow. Faith is a bit of a catch-22. It grows as we actually step out. As you have a go, as you speculate, as you invest your talents, as you shine your light, as you salt your food, I think what we'll find is that faith will grow. So, worship, holiness, and faith. And the last thing I want to say as I finish is really just to point you to Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus left and said, I'll be coming back, he said, I'm going to send you an other, another, an other. And by that he meant Holy Spirit, our friend, our counselor, our guide. And Holy Spirit is actually the one, even now, who's working amongst us, who's making us look more like Jesus, who will help us keep in mind the victory and the wedding, who comes alongside us in those moments where we really feel like we've disqualified ourselves from holiness and whispers to us, have another go, 
get up, have another go. Or Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside you when you have like completely lost all vision and you don't even know how to begin to worship. And he helps you. He helps us. He helps me. And so really simply as I close, I wanted to invite um, as a response, we'll do in a minute, if you would like to say, yes, Jesus, I want to hold out on my wobbly three-year-old bicycle, pedaling furiously to stay adrift. I want to invite Holy Spirit into that. And I want to say, yes, Jesus, I want your life. I want to be I want to be at that feast. I want to see that victory. So would you come and would you help me endure and flourish in the now? It's a really simple invitation just to come to the front um, space all along here and, and to your left. Just come and kneel. And the ministry team really simply just going to come and pray God's blessing on you. That you would know the infilling of Holy Spirit who's the one who comes to help us with all of this as we worship, as we live lives of holiness, as we live by faith. So would you stand with me if you're able? Um, We're going to worship and uh, do come and respond if you want to say, yes, Jesus, this way of life, I choose it. Bless you guys.